He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I'll once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to get them a wide berth? It's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> we talk a little bit about what's going on in the We do not have James this week. He and his wife are putting their house on the market this week. And so he is in the middle of what we might affectionately call uh, home improvement hell. So his his life is chaos right now. So we'll try to do our best to exist with this without the spirit of Jane here at present. Is selling your house officially the only thing worse than moving? <laughs> I feel like selling a home is awful. His wife's got to sit there and listen to spooky season talk all the time. That's got to suck even worse. But the good thing is I, we've got a little help, some permanent help coming in. Yeah. Uh, we're excited to uh, officially invite Aubrey McKay as a, a regular Munson here on the podcast. Welcome. Yeah. Good to have you, buddy. Thanks, guys. I'm hyped to do this. You guys say tolerate you. I'm thrilled. Like, this is, <laughs> this is honestly is really exciting. I've been looking forward to this. I was hoping anytime I get a chance to join, it was a great time. Like, I love this podcast, and I'm really happy to be here. So thanks, guys. Awesome. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Yeah. Just remember, there's no we hate Harvey Weinstein, and there's no score shaming. <laughs> those are the two rules to live by. I feel like I could ride with those. Excited to have our Aubrey on, and we uh, threw him into the deep end here with Jim Belushi. So yeah, we'll we'll have some fun. So it's the others, Rigby. How about you? Living the dream out here. Finally, finally feels like fall in California. We've been having some. Some some heat the last month or so, but yeah, this is uh, finally getting that Midwest crisp autumn air feel, which I love. What about you, Case? Oh, not much on my end, gang. Just excited to talk a little bit about Jimmy B. And uh, he is the star of one of my favorite all-time Saturday Night Live skits. Hopefully it'll come up and, and we can talk about it. I sent it to the group, and as far as I can tell, it was a hit. But we are excited to welcome back Laura Banneke to the podcast. Laura is a film nerd who loves Star Wars, the burrs, sword fighting, gardening, and animals. And despite her love for the bear, she is recording with us tonight while they're playing in the background on Monday Night Football. Um, she's also a SAG actor and stunt woman. For a brief time, she worked in casting. She's a proud mom of three strong and gorgeous daughters and works a day job at a big bank. She was previously with us for the Gary Cole, Bonnie Hunt, and J-Lo episode. So she is a veteran Munson. Welcome back, Laura. I'm good. Thanks for having me back. I'm super excited. It was a pretty good weekend. Friday, we had the last football game for the high school. We, we had pink out, so everybody wearing pink for breast cancer support, and uh, my daughter's on cheer, and the sky was pink. The weather was perfect. It was fun. It was a good time. Happy to have you back. You're always welcome. You always bring such yeah. a unique perspective. I mean, we're we're like drowning in riches today with you and Aubrey here at the same time. So, Laura, I do have to tell you this. I don't know if I told you last time, but you are my sister's favorite guest we have on. If she's listening to this, she's going to be very excited about this episode. Birthdays, November 3rd. What do we got, Rigby? 
All right, first up, Mr. Ivan Drago, Dolph Lundgren. Fell off the map after Rocky IV, but that's okay. You can see, see him in many uh, straight-to-video straight to thrillers out there, action thrillers. Also in Universal Soldier with, uh, with Jean-Claude Van Damme. I will say Dolph is old as fuck, <laughs> and I'm going to say that old as fuck is 64. This is just amazing because I was literally laughing with the head coach of our basketball team because we have a student who's growing his hair out in a weird way, and he looks like him. I love that. So we were okay. pulling up pictures, and we were doing it, and I just kept walking around saying, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> he is super old. He's a 64. I think he's older than that. I'm going to say 68. Just for reference, Rocky Four was eight from uh, 1985. So yeah. If you want to do the math there. So 68 for Aubrey. Oh, given hints after I've guessed. Now that seems <laughs> like it's fair. It seems really fair, Rigby. I'm going to actually come in low. I'm going to go 58. I'm going to guess 60. 60? Okay. Uh, Kyle, you win. Even though I <laughs> tried to make you lose, you still win. How old is he? Dolph is turning 65. Oh, wow. Good job, Kyle. Getting a W going first is tough to do, so I'm proud of myself. Well played, sir. Good good job. All right, uh, next up, Kate Capshaw. I would say her most famous film role is probably as Willie Scott in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I would say now she's probably known more for being married to Steven Spielberg. I don't know what she's been in recently, if she has been. She's, been a, she's in a lot of 80s movies. Black Rain, Dreamscape. Yeah, she's got a familiar face for those who... Uh, or know her name. I'm going to guess 69. Okay. You sent the photo over of her. I still don't recognize her. So I'm going to go the James route this time and be like, well, since I don't know this person, I'm going to guess 61. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to do the same thing and say 64 because I do not, I don't, I don't recognize her very much either. I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to my last guess. 58. I'm trying to keep it low. Well, none of those guesses matter because Laura got it right out of the gate. She's turning 69 on the dot. So good job, Laura. Go watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It's probably the worst t- Indiana Jones, but it's still good. Yeah, so happy birthday to those folks. All right, five actors we threw under the wheel for episode 74. Uh, those five actors were Mary Kay Place, Tom Hollander, Hal Holbrook, Ben Schwartz, but not, that doesn't matter. Because the wheel selected, not Laura, but the wheel selected Jim slash James Belushi. And Jim has done quite a bit in the world of entertainment since he got onto the scene. He's got over 150 credits on his IMDb, a blend of film, TV, video games, animated roles, and some stage work. So he's a, he's a little bit all over the place when it comes to what he's done in the entertainment world. Uh, but before we get into all that, what we normally do, we start with some trivia. And normally it's James who would lead our trivia segment, but since he's not here, he has bestowed me with the trivia baton. And I'm going to try to stump the group Fast and Furious style. So the way this works, I'm going to read off three facts about Jim Belushi. Two of them are going to be about true about Jim. One of those will not be true and will be about one of the many illustrious actors or cast members of the Fast and the Furious franchise, everybody's favorite favorite family drama, and their job is to figure out which one is the lie. So fact number one, was once arrested while dressed as Santa Claus in front of a playground of children. Fact number two, has a strain of marijuana 
named after him. And fact number three, once filed a $4 million lawsuit against his neighbor for harassment and defamation, only to settle out of court and eventually write them in and cast them as an annoying neighbor character on a sitcom. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's great. <laughs> that's, oh, man. I was just going to go one is the lie, and that's only because I love his Santa character and Jingle All the Way so much that I don't want him to, I don't want to think of him being arrested for that, so... Are you saying that, that that Santa wasn't worthy of being a criminal and being arrested? Because he 100% was in Jingle All the Way. Yeah. He was a criminal, but I don't I don't think history repeated itself on that. So, Rigby says fact number one. That's a true statement, not a false statement. He was arrested as Santa. It's either very accurate or an elaborate lie you just made up. So what's <laughs> your guess, Laura? Well, I'm torn between the last two because, you know, obviously he's a cannabis farmer, but I don't think he has a strain with his name. But and he also did have a feud with his neighbor who played Catwoman, right? Back in the day. But I don't know if he I don't know if it was that much money and if he wrote her as a character. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go. The second one is a lie. Because it's too, it's too close to the truth. I think Vin Diesel was arrested as Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Big fucking Santa Claus, huh? Jack Santa Claus. I'm going to go with the second one being a lie. Even though, what an elaborate life he's lived. Because I can't really guess. Like, they all sound like they could be true. And they all sound ridiculous. Yeah. So, I'm going to go with the second one. And I'm going to go with what I feel like is the obvious choice. Ludicrous. Okay. Luda. You can never go wrong with a Luda guess. <laughs> His name should just be Luda Guess at this point. Fuck Luda Chris. <laughs> he's been brought up so many times in the show. He's he's almost a regular host. He should be paying us royalties at this point. <laughs> yes. I think the lie is number three. And I think that has to do with one of the shows The Rock is involved with. So fact number one is one nobody guessed. And that was he was once arrested while dressed as Santa Claus in front of a playground of children. While he was going to college at DuPage, he would dress up as Santa each holiday and go visit houses and charge $15 to do appearances as a side gig. He didn't have his license, and this cop who had it out for him, did air quotes for those listening at home, pulled him over in the Santa suit and arrested him, handcuffed and all, right next to a playground where he said children in the backseat of their parents' cars were rolling down the window going, Santa's going to jail. So a lot of trauma, trauma delivered that day because uh, he did, was not licensed for his side gigs. Uh, fact number three, also true. So he sued his neighbor, Julie Newmar, who the original Catwoman from the 1960s Batman for $4 million in 2004. After a 25-year neighborly feud, the two announced they had settled their differences out of court. And later that year, Newmar guest starred on an episode of According to Jim that poked fun at their feud by having Newmar play a neighbor who annoys Belushi's character. That's awesome. But they feuded for a quarter of a century. <laughs> That's awesome and so petty at the same time. I love it. Um, so the one that a few of you answered, number, fact number two, has a strain of marijuana named after him. While this is true about Vin Diesel, Bow Wow, Ludacris, Paul Walker, and Jason Statham, <laughs> never had a fact that included like more than one of the Fast and Furious characters. There are five of them who have a a strain of marijuana named after them. Wow. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It's especially true about Jim Belushi, who is the only celebrity out of the ones mentioned who has their own marijuana company. 
Belushi Farms, which generates an estimated $5 million a year in sales. His most popular strain is, of course, called Blues Brothers. Um, Those are really good, really good facts. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Good job, James. I came up with them all by myself. I did not read them from an email from James <laughs> D'Imperio. Most certainly. Would never do such a thing. All right. Case, tell us a little bit about Belushi's snapshot in box office history. One of the things that's hard, especially for actors that we cover that are busy in the 80s and 90s, is there's not a ton of box office information sometimes. I've got a lot of gaps compared to what I normally have. However, one really interesting item that I came up with on researching some budget on the movie Only the Lonely, Maureen O'Hara was given a tiny, tiny trailer that was completely inappropriate for an actor on the movie to have. And John Candy went and complained to the producers. And they're like, yeah, I mean, the, all the money for this movie is going to the film. It's not going to the actors. And so John Candy, the good dude he is, literally took her stuff out of her trailer, put it in his, moved himself into the small trailer. As you guys might guess, the studio decided they were going to get John Candy a full-size trailer. So I thought that was a really cool story that came out. And obviously, the only relation there is that Jim Belushi's in that movie. But I thought that was really cool. The thing that stood out the most to me in terms of like the surprising numbers... I was pretty surprised at his the average budget for Jim Belushi movies because as I was plugging them in, they started out pretty big. Now he only ranks fifty seventh, right? But his the average budget for his movies is twenty eight point three million, and that was way way higher than I thought it was going to be. In terms of some of his performance on movies, probably his best movie is going to be Canine where he stars alongside a canine. And then your guys' favorite, Jingle All The Way. Okay, so now let's get into some of the, the more juicy numbers. I, um, I reached out to our resident Munson's at the Movie purchasing agent, and I said to him, what could you do with $32,000 from a world gross? And James wrote back, 2022 Nissan Rogue Sport. I have a 2016. Love that car. Great gas mileage. The good news is that not only could Belushi buy that with one of his movies, he's got two movies that came in in the low, world-grossing low $30,000. Now, we're going to cover another movie later, and I do have to bring Laura into the box office discussion here. I read on on my uh, IMDb page that undrafted world-grossed $6,000. Is that correct? Yeah, it was pretty bad. $5,777. <laughs> so the good news is that'll cover probably six months of insurance for said uh, Nissan Rogues. The other one that I thought was interesting was he is in the 11th poorest performing film we have in the role of The Legend of Oz. He comes in ranked 57th in average budget. He comes in ranked 59th in total box office, 71st in star meter, 72nd in critic ranking, 70th in fan ranking, 72nd and 65th in 
two different box office metrics. This isn't good. If anybody wants to take a guess, I bet you they could identify what number he comes ranked in at. As a reminder, before you guess, this would be episode number 74. Yeah, yeah. Take that into consideration. Does anybody have any guesses? <laughs> Aubrey, would you like to do the honors? It can't be 74. Jim James Jimmy B. Belushi comes in ranked 74th out of 74. That's tough. Not a great box office profile. It's a little surprising. I knew it would be low. I didn't know it would be that low, though. Star meter felt a little low to me because, like, yeah. I feel like everyone knows who he is. I also yeah. don't know what exactly goes into that. It, just, it seems a little shocking, but it also kind of doesn't, as weird as that sounds. At time of recording, his star meter is 4,334. The last time that he had a relevant spike in his star meter ranking, you really have to go back to the, mo- to the movie Stan Lee's Mighty Seven. In 2014. Other than that, he's not a, he's not above a thousand since then. <laughs> okay, we set a foundation, right? Yeah, get a baseline for this conversation. So we'll we'll see how the uh, Munson meter scores translate comparatively to the 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 bottom of the box office. Thanks, Case. You bet. We're gonna go with first major roles in 1981. So some of the we'll hit all of the major pieces before 1981. So first and foremost. He was born into an Albanian family in 1954 in Wheaton, Illinois, which will come up several times during this podcast. I believe Case has some other Wheaton, Illinois alums to share, correct? Yeah, James shared with me other research he had with a notable Wheaton, Wheatonian. I like that. I'm not sure what it would somebody from Wheaton would be considered, but a Wheatonite. Here are some other notable Wheatonites. Director Wes Craven. Televangelist Billy Graham, author and reporter who broke the Watergate scandal, Bob Woodward, legendary football player, Red Grange, and then some dickbag who drove from Wheaton, Illinois to Purdue University to beat up James. It was something to do with one of his ex-girlfriends, and um, because, because James was unable to answer the phone... Uh, things never, never happen. So I, I guess another notable Wheatonite is some idiot who was willing to cross state lines to assault him, to, to assault somebody. So outside of that padre of actually pretty impressive humans there, it's pretty rare being of Albanian descent there uh, in Wheaton in the mid 50s. Uh, Jim is pretty well known, but a lot of it comes from people knowing his older brother, John Belushi, who was five years older than him. Yeah. Blazed a trail for him. Uh, in the Chicago scene, and then obviously into the SNL days, which we'll get into a little bit. Uh, if you hear Jim talk about their relationship in interviews, he'll tell you that while John was, you know, prom king, this good-looking guy that seemed to have, like, the world in his hands, Jim was the guy who seemed to be on probation from the ages of 13 to 18. He was kind of a troublemaker growing up in the shadow of his older, successful brother, which... I think when you look back now and you think about it and knowing how things went down with John, I think people would think the other way. Yeah. Most of Belushi's, Jim Belushi at least, his good roles, he's kind of a troublemaker and he's kind of on the wrong side of right, but not totally right. Like he's not a complete screw up, but he's kind of, a, he's a, he's, yeah, he does he's a little bit well. of a troublemaker. So it'll be interesting yep. to see that how that trend plays out. It almost seems like natural for him to kind of slide into that. Mm-hmm. 
he graduated high school in 72. After that, he went to the College of DuPage. And then he graduated from SIUC, Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, with a speech and theater arts degree. So he's got the theater background. But the, the big piece here is that he was inspired to start acting because his brother, John, was performing with Second City, which we've talked about. Every time Laura's here, we're talking about Second City because we're usually covering somebody from Chicago. Love it. Right. So, uh, you know, John's doing the Second City thing and eventually Jim followed in his footsteps. Laura is, is a three year run with Second City. Is that long? It feels like it's long to me. Yeah, I would say I'm the longer. Yeah. I was with the Groundlings, so it's uh, so funny. I'm from, from Chicago, but I went with the L.A. LA troupe for a little bit. <laughs> Be different. He always talks about improv and how he's trained in improv and how that really, really led a lot of the decisions in his work and his life. So his first recurring role on, on the television side was on Who's Watching the Kids? He played Bert from 78, 79, 11 episodes of that show. First marriage, first of a couple. He got married to Sandra Davenport in 1980. They were married for eight years. He got divorced in 88, and they had, he had his first son, Robert, during that time. But 1981 is what we're going to go, call his first major role, and that's his role in the thief. To not give it anything away, is there any way that this movie is why James isn't doing the episode? No. Okay, good. <laughs> all right, all right. I hope not. This movie's, this movie's great. Now I'm all ears. I can't wait. No, nah, this movie's great. I know. Pretty sure this is Michael Mann's first film. First major film, yeah. First one that wasn't a short, I believe. Well, I was really hyped to watch this movie because I really love Michael Mann. And um, I haven't seen this one before, but I wasn't sure I was even going to watch it because it, it felt like he wasn't going to be in it a ton. I wasn't really sure. Like, I know it's his first major role, but it's like, how much is he really in this movie? I, this movie is incredible. I, it's like, I'm still kind of processing it, so I'm not as, like, put together with all my thoughts, but... It's just a, it's a fantastic movie, and he's in it quite a bit, and he does really well. He does really well in this movie. So it's about um, like a safe cracker, yes. And he gets like hooked up to do one last heist. Obviously, it doesn't go the way it's supposed to go because it never does. And so, like, what I like about it is just that that idea of seeing that kind of really early on because it's a pretty standard idea now if you've ever seen a heist movie that's just the one last job but this feels pretty early on so it felt fresh in that way but also the idea that this character who's trying to get this one last heist has this collage of things he's trying to put together in his life and you see the pieces of it come together as he's going on and working towards this last job and what i love about michael mann is that he just takes his time He'll let you see an entire high sequence. Like, we're going to break into a vault. You're going to see every step of how we're going to break into that vault. And I love that. And um, I was pleasantly surprised at how good Jim Belushi was. Like, he was a little bit funny here. kind of peppered some stuff in there. But he just played it really straight and really good. Like, this movie... Um, I'm a huge Michael Mann fan. Uh, love James Caan in this. And has a lot of quirky Chicago characters. Dennis Farina is also in it. Yeah, when I know when James Caan uh, passed away a few months ago, this was one of the first movies I wanted to watch because this and The Gambler are two of my favorite James Caan movies. Oh, wow. He really takes this movie by storm. He's fantastic, and I agree with what Aubrey said. That While that plot line sounds tired and kind of overused, this movie is what I think of for like the, uh, the crown jewel of those kind of movies where, you know, one guy, he's got to make one last heist before he gets out and... We all know how it ends, and 
So, um, yeah, kudos to kudos to Belushi for for being in this. I'll think about this one for a really long time. It's high praise coming out of first major role. We've got three years until our next review, so he does an episode of Laverne and Shirley, huge show there in the '80s. So that's a that's a big one to get your name, get your face out on. Jamil Shilmazel, House and Pfeffer Incorporated. He plays Harvey in Trading Places. Oh yeah, he does play. What's his name in Trading Places? That's great. Yep. Yeah, he's the he's the guy in the gorilla suit on the train, the frat party. Yep. What do you mean it's over? It's only 10 o'clock, you dummy. <laughs> there are parts of that movie that have not aged well in the slightest bit, but it uh, it has some entertainment value if you don't pay attention to uh, actors in blackface. <laughs> not aging well could be a theme for the next several minutes here. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. 83 is when he starts his SNL run. So he, did, he was there from 83 to 85. He did 33 episodes. And then... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he joined after his brother passed. I don't know. Did they ever overlap? I don't believe so. On SNL? I think Belushi, I think John Belushi died in 81, if that's right. 82, so yeah. Would have been after. I'm telling you, one of the best Saturday Night Live skits of all time is called The Chess Coach. And it was season 10, episode 5. Belushi plays this. Bobby Knight chess coach. So he's just says over the top, screaming at everybody, throwing chairs. It's one of the rare Saturday Night Live skits that is both like overtly funny and then like very subtly funny. I don't even want to give the end away, but there, there's a scene at the end where he's having dinner with his family and it's you just you think the skits are over and then he, he just does this thing at the end very subtly and you just start laughing again. If you have never seen this, find the chess coach with Jim Belushi. From Saturday Night Live. It is, it is, oh God, it is so funny. <laughs> when he says that they're used to Sicilian defense, I died. Yeah. Absolutely died. He does bring Wheaton, Illinois up. So he, he, he gave a shout out to his hometown. Oh, man. Just the coaching sarcasm that you always hear coaches use. He's like, you call that castling? And then he just starts going, why don't you just give him the king? It's just that like condescending, sarcastic tone. Pretty much every coach that's ever coached and will ever coach uses too often. I've seen this skit probably 500 times, and I laugh every time. I was going to say, now I'm just going to imagine him coaching like this from now on. Every time I see a post about his coaching, I'm just going to imagine him yelling out, castling. It may have happened. 84, he did an episode of Fairy Tale Theater, which we've had a lot of performers do before. The one thing I'll note here, it was on an episode that talked about Pinocchio, which Pinocchio will come Come up again later with Jim, so I want to note that. And then 1985, uh, another big movie role for him in the mid-'80s was he played Tom Hanks' bestie in The Man With One Red Shoe. He played Morris. And that's going to take us to highest critic score, which is 1986's Salvador, and Rigby drew it. So this is an Oliver Stone movie, uh, pre-Platoon, and I think this is, aside from writing... Uh, Midnight Express and Scarface. I believe this is Oliver Stone's like biggest movie in between there, if that makes sense. Um, and one of his first directional uh, directorial uh, movies. But Salvador is a, a movie starring James Woods and and uh, Jim Belushi. James Woods plays Richard Boyle. He's a veteran journalist. Upon <clears throat> upon losing his wife and or his wife divorcing him or leaving him. 
he decides that his best uh, outlet to continue his journalism career is to go cover the civil war in El Salvador. Uh, he goes for journalistic purposes with friend. His name is Dr. Rock, played by Jim Belushi. He's a famous DJ who is also kind of down on his luck and just basically is along for the ride. It's it's almost like a uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas type trip where it's like, what's the point of this? Are these guys just trying to go start some start something or have some fun? Uh, but then turns out that the Civil War gets more and more serious and you know, James Wood sees the impact of it and tries to turn or his heart turns from a I'm there to get good pictures and make money off of this to I need to I need to help these people. Um, it's a really powerful movie and just a really heavy movie. And it's very Oliver Stone-ish. Uh, if you look at, you know, if you look at the content of Midnight Express, where you deal with political uprising and and, and strife and just conflict uh there's a lot of those themes here and you can see i mean oliver stone obviously that's his motif i would say basically just like he likes to dig into stuff that's really controversial and really deep and really heavy jim belushi is kind of a small character in this he really doesn't have a lot of roles uh or a lot of uh, a lot of screen time james woods carries it for sure it's got a pretty ambiguous ending too where you don't really know you know what what the fate of the characters are which is very also very oliver stone-ish i also went into it with the mindset of i i dated somebody dad is from el salvador so i'd heard a lot about mm -hmm. the turmoil in in that country and so i was tuned in with a slightly yeah. different perspective but i i thought it was fascinating watching this knowing that he oliver stone put out platoon mm -hmm. the same year and this movie still was nominated for two awards, including James Woods for Best Actor, which I thought was interesting. It's a pretty, a pretty tough watch at times. Yeah, and there's not a lot of Oliver Stone movies that I haven't seen, so the fact that I hadn't even heard of this uh, just plays up what exactly what you just said, how it's kind of overshadowed by Platoon. And <clears throat> his next movie that he made after Platoon, which is Wall Street, is one of my favorite movies ever. And then Born on the Fourth of July and JFK. So he had a pretty good run after this one. Nothing to sneeze at, for sure. I really enjoyed it. I really, really did. And I also read that Belushi and James Woods had quite the rivalry on set, that they were not best friends See that either. Next movie there in the mid-'80s, he was in About Last Night. He played Bernie. This was one of my favorite watches of all the ones that I got to. I had a lot of fun with this. I had zero expectations. Yeah, I had too. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And it definitely is one of those that doesn't, I guess I wouldn't say it doesn't, a lot of it doesn't age well. A lot of what Jim Belushi does doesn't age well. But even with that being said, it's like an uncomplicated romantic comedy. It's just like nice and easy and kind of fun. It's just like a really easy, enjoyable watch. Like Rob Lowe and Demi Moore are great, and they're great together. And Jim Belushi's, you know, great doing something that's really complicated to talk about. But he's funny. Like he's fun. His energy is good for the film. So it just makes it a really easy time, which is just nice to have a movie that you could throw in and like laugh at, yeah. enjoy watching, and then kind of go about your business. I read an interview where he said that, you know, this movie changed his career. And after this, he felt like he became a movie star. And he said, quote, I was very wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently from this article, it sounds like John Belushi was offered this role and passed. 
um, the podcast Back from Broken that he was on. That's the one, yeah. And he said um, he, yeah, he had done Sexual Perversity in Chicago was the name of the play that he did at the Apollo Theater, and it got noticed by the president of Paramount Pictures. And that's kind of what started his career. And then they called John and um, Aykroyd, you know, to try to be in it. And they went back and forth about John was like, you know, we're Hollywood people. We're going to have to take it. And Jim was like, no, please don't take it. You know, like I just created this character with the theater. (laughs) You have enough. You have the samurai. You have cheeseburger. You have everything else. You know, give me this. And um, then, you know, he backed down and and later he got the part. So, yeah, I think this is a really key part of uh, his career. And I, I do really like the film. Yeah. I don't think I would like this movie as much if John Belushi were in it. I think it would become too too comedic. And I, I really like uh, Jim in this. Important note, too. At this time, he's not going by Jim yet. He's going by James Belushi. That's his stage name. And I mean, that's what he he doesn't go to Jim until after 2000. So I, I forgot to note that earlier. He's still if you go to his IMDb, it's as James Belushi until I think 2001. I was going to say, I love that Little Shop of Horrors came out the same year because you have so much yeah. different genres that he was working in, you know, that was released in this year. That was great. Yeah, he's in he's in one scene, comes in, talks about wanting to take the, the plant nationwide, and then he disappears. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. This movie was a phenom. This, it was just a wild, wild hit. 1987, another movie that, again, I don't think is... Uh, don't think it's aged well, but it's weirdly fun to watch. And that's the principle. This movie is wild. <laughs> the principle. It is a, it's an interesting. It's, <laughs> this movie is a disaster and it is insanely watchable. Like I just consume this movie with no problems with my jaw on the floor. Most of the time, this movie is ridiculous. And he's the lead. It's just like, it, there's a scene where he like, Puts a hot chocolate packet, I think, and a and a Coke, and he drinks it, or whatever that was. And I'm just and that's how he started his day. And I'm just like, why did I need to see that? <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's a bizarre movie. Is this better or worse than Dangerous Minds? It sounds like the prequel. We could all agree on hey, that. Oh, wait, hold on. Dangerous Minds. <laughs> Dangerous Minds slander. Is that what you guys do here? I, I honestly think it's enjoyable just because he's entertaining. So like he's everything around him is bizarre, and so like yeah, this kid's trying to yeah sexually assault this teacher because she made fun of him, and Jim Belushi is driving a motorcycle through the hallways and literally through a door to save her is bizarre. Like the movie is entertaining and funny and like watchable because he is entertaining. If I if it was literally anybody else, it would have been more of a dumpster fire. I do not recommend this movie, though. Do not take this as a recommendation. <laughs> I typed the principal Jim Belushi had autocorrected to motorcycle. And for those curious, he's driving a 1985 Honda VT 750C Shadow. That's a good-sized bike to be driving around through a high school. His bike is like a character. I love it. Mm-hmm. The movie also <laughs> ends with some guy yelling, Hey, who do you think you are? And Jim Belushi saying, right. I'm the principal. So this is not the one that starred Morgan Freeman. Okay, noted. <laughs> the same genre. Lourdes Cordy Gap is 1988's Red Heat and Aubrey has it. So this is 
it's it's called on IMDb an action comedy from eighty eight action comedy, written and directed by Walter Hill, who I guess most people, if they know him, would know him from Forty Eight Hours and Another Forty Eight Hours. I know him from the two thousand and two classic Undisputed, yeah, which Wesley Snipes and Ving Rhames box for Prison Champ. Um, I am highly recommending that movie. Just a little short aside, watch that if you can. But this movie is just. A Russian policeman is his partner's killed and he's trying to catch like a drug lord who flees to America. So he gets paired up with uh, Jim Belushi, who's like, he's like, you're like, you're that kind of cocky, smart ass cop who doesn't really follow the rules type thing. And they kind of team together to make a, a pretty fun, like action comedy where they're just kind of chasing down this Russian drug lord through what is a surprisingly simple but convoluted story that ends in a very interesting bus chase um i like this movie it's it's bizarre in the way that 80s movies can only be bizarre where you're in like this russian bathhouse and people are working out yeah and arnold schwarzenegger's punching people outside of walls and then you know it's just it's bizarre in that way but it's fun the only kind of knock i have is that it feels like it's caught between two different things does it want to be like a like a true buddy comedy like buddy cop action comedy thing or does it want to be a little bit more serious it doesn't really get the tone right all the time but overall i mean if you're if you like these type of kind of strange 80s movies it's a good time like the fish out of water stuff with Arnold Schwarzenegger is hilarious like he's playing it super deadpan, just yeah, taking everything really liberal. Jim Belushi's fun. I wish he would go a little bit more, but it's it's a good time if if you like these type of movies. And if you don't like eighties movies, do not watch this movie because it's very eighties. <laughs> but I had a good time with it. That's two movies in a row that are a year apart from a very like similar plot. You know, you had the principal, and then a year later, Lean on Me came out. And now you have this movie, and now a year after this, Black Rain is going to come out, which I think Rigby talked about earlier. I wonder if if there was some studio wars going on that he was a part of, because that's a strange, strange trend that we see developing. That that would be interesting to see. That it would it would make sense how this kind of happened. I want to be a. I want to just kind of go back and see the conversation where it was like, hey, we're going to make this movie. It's going to be like a buddy cop type thing. We're going to do Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jim Belushi. I just want to hear how that came together. Because, like, when you see them together, when you see them together, it doesn't make sense. It, it mostly works. It's just I just want to. I would like to hear that conversation. That's my that's my second most interesting conversation to hear in parts of his casting. I want to save the other one for later. I was just looking for Turbo Man doll. <laughs> he he seemed to work, and there's another one that he does. With the Schwarzenegger, I've never seen this movie, and I love uh, I love cheesy '80s action movies. But for some reason, just this one just hasn't, I just haven't tracked it down. I'd say get to it because it's if you li- if you really like these movies, it's it works. It's fun. It's highly rated. Like it's got good reviews. Yeah, it was super popular back when it was out in the theaters. It makes sense. The movies, it's a lot of fun. The importance for Belushi is he's getting to play with Schwarzenegger, and Schwarzenegger is in the run of his life with movies. You've got 
Predator was right around here. Commando would have been around here. I mean, it's just stud movie after stud movie after stud movie for Schwarzenegger. And for Belushi to be able to get in on that shows how popular and prevalent his his acting was in Hollywood at this time. All right. Well, let's get to the one that Case has just been dying to talk about. And that's 1989's <laughs> lowest critic score, which is Homer and Eddie. This is a straight shoot. Do I really have to talk about this movie? We have to, to tell the story of this. It was insultingly bad. Because in the trailer, it looked very quirky, very different. Um, I, I wasn't fond of his acting in the trailer. I, I, you could tell he was trying to do something different than his normal acting. But um, I'm not sure it was working. So I was trying to figure out if this was like quirky in a successful way, like office space or something, or if this was quirky in a bad way. And I'm not even, I'm not even using hyperbole here. This is arguably the worst movie I've ever watched for this podcast. Wow. Like I said, it was insultingly bad. Not even the, not even the acting. The movie in general was insultingly bad. I didn't like any of the acting. I don't know what the hell either he or Whippy Goldberg were doing in this movie. In 89, the only thing I was thinking, and, and I, don't, I tried to find this, and I, I was so bored with the movie and the plot that I didn't even care about it. I was doing a bunch of research to see how early this film had been filmed. Accurate. The way it's shot, it looks like it's filmed in the 60s. Well, all right. <sighs> Homer and Eddie is a 1989 American comedy film starring Whoopi Goldberg and Jim Belushi, directed by Andre Kozlovsky. A side note to this movie, according to Wikipedia, this is Anne Ramsey's final performance. The film received generally poor reviews from critics. That's the entire Wikipedia. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score was a 37 for fans and a zero for critic. And I will tell you, I think it's overrated by critics. <laughs> so here, here's my public service announcement. If you like, even remotely like Jim Belushi and you remotely like Whoopi Goldberg, watch Eddie. Do not watch this movie. Don't, don't even watch the trailer. So we're leaving the 80s and we're going to the 90s. Of course, when a new decade happens, you got to get into another marriage. So he steps in and gets married to Marjorie Bransfield in 1990. They're married for a grand total of two plus years to get divorced in 1992. 90, though, he joins Rene Russo in Mr. Destiny, a film I know a couple of you have been really wanting to talk about. I like Mr. Destiny a lot. I like it so much that I will say this is my favorite performance of his. So there you go. Oh. Wow. I think this character just works really well for Belushi. Yeah. The plot line is is similar. It's a guy who gets a look at what his life could have been like if things were ended up differently or things had gone differently in, in, his, uh, in his past. He's charming. He's wholesome. He's just a good, like, Midwestern dad in this, and I really, really, really like his character. And I like this movie a lot. I was going to say, I felt like he was channeling Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. I don't know, just that kind of character, that kind of charming. And, oh, yeah. And with the alternate realities, it, it felt a lot like that to me. I feel like if he didn't play the role, I could see Bill Murray in it. Yeah, that's good. I like that. You, you and your Chicago folks, who else, right? That's right. 1990, he's in one scene of a, a movie that is absolutely batshit crazy called Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe. He plays Principal Latimer. It's a movie with led by Jesse Ventura. Uh, and Oh, good grief. There is a, uh, the, his antagonist in the movie, the guy's name is Secundus. Like Secundus, Secundus, <laughs> which is just this 
I was reading more about I watched it because I was like, this movie seems like the most ridiculous thing ever. And it's everything I can tell. It was it's a cult movie for how bad it is. And people like it because it's so bad. So if you're into that kind of thing, you should watch Abraxas Guardian of the Universe. It's on Tubi at the time of recording. Can I correct you on something? Sure. It's Governor Ventura. Just so you know, he's the former governor of Minnesota. Not a big deal. Sorry. Well, we, we have a large Minnesota listening audience, and I wanted to make sure that you didn't, didn't feel slighted, but with you not mentioning he was the governor. You know what I say to that case? Suck on this. That's what I say. <laughs> well played, sir. Curly Sue, he played Bill in 1991, a movie that I'd seen pop up a lot with him. And um, it was pretty funny to see him, you know, play a con artist with... Um... The child actor. I thought I thought it worked well for the genre. Again, to have a family friendly comedy, I thought I thought it was really good. Only the Lonely, nineteen ninety one, and a Christopher Columbus film alongside John Candy. He worked with John Candy a lot. And from my inter- I saw an interview he did with Larry King, and he said the person that he finds to be the funniest ever is John Candy. So he's a big John Candy fan. I bet you John Candy was one of the funnest people ever to do a movie with. He does seem like he was just fun and caring. And I, what I was going to say about Only the Lonely is one of my favorite lines that's out there. You can see it, you know, if you search by the video, was he was saying his um, his marriage was getting a little boring and dull. So he went out and he bought a love enhancer put on the pillow for his wife. And she tried to kill it thinking it was a giant centipede. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite quotes from that movie. Honey, coming off that, he uh, he does a music video for MC Hammer. He does Too Legit to Quit. He plays a news anchor. There's a lot of other celebrity appearances in that music video. I watched it, but he is one of many in that one. That song was a big deal. <laughs> one of the catchiest songs ever, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was or is? I, I I couldn't hear what somebody was. said there. I mean, you know, to a certain segment of the population, still is. <laughs> I can go find my cassette tape. If somebody were to turn that shit on right now, everybody'd be dancing. That song <laughs> rules. You want to talk about the classic erotic thriller, Traces of Red? I want to know how he got that part. Like, he's not the first person you think of for... Um... That was my first question. Yeah. <laughs> how did he get this? He, like, goes to a restaurant, picks up a woman in the first half of that movie, and, like, does the thing. Then he's like in an affair with another woman who's maybe crazy. This is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I'm proud of you that you stuck through it, though. There's this not-so-subtle transition with Jim Belushi's career in the mid-'90s where he goes from doing erotic thrillers and 80s, cheesy 80 movies to, by 94, he starts doing a ton of cartoons. So he he shifts to the animated role world. Mm. And so it starts with Ah Real Monsters, a lot of like Nickelodeon Cartoon Network stuff. So I'm going to fire through these. Ah Real Monsters, he's in eight episodes of that between 94 and 97. Pinky and the Brain, three episodes of that. Gargoyles, two episodes of that. He does the Mighty Ducks animated series from 96 to 97. Blam. Hey Arnold, he played Coach Whitberg. Case, some more coach research for you to do. Cow and Chicken, he did an episode of. So, like, in the mid-90s, you just started crushing all this kid's content, which is mm-hmm. such a departure from everything else he had done. I'm seeing that he's getting typecast as a coach. That's not a bad thing, though. It's extra points for you, huh? He's going to need them. He's got a really good voice for animated work, though. Super good voice, yeah. Like, when I saw it, it made sense. It makes sense. He's got a good, like, like emotional range on his voice. He can have that, like, 
excited whiny, but then ex- at the same time have kind of like a in pain whiny, and then have like a smooth, like full voice. He's very unique compared to other performers we've seen that have done voice roles. He's got the energy for like the cartoon, the Nickelodeon cartoon stuff. Like he's got the high energy in his voice to do that kind mm-hmm. of stuff too. In the middle of all those shows, he does a movie with our girl Halle Berry called Race the Sun. He plays Frank, uh, a movie with a young Joel, Joel Anderson's first movie ever. Uh, Eliza Dushku, Steve Zahn plays the, uh, in the antagonist in this movie about a solar race by equipping cars to race each other using the sun. That's why it's called Race the Sun. Oof. Have you guys ever heard of Race the Sun with Halle Berry? And Jim Belushi. I heard of this movie for the first time in our box office review, where it was budgeted for forty-six million, and it pulled in a cool one point nine million. Yeah, it's not. This movie good. lost over forty-four million dollars, and it's not even his worst losses. The best way I can describe Jim Belushi in this movie as is a worse version of Steve Gutenberg from The Big Green. The best comparison I can give you if you've seen The Big Green and know what I'm talking about. I think that's the only time anyone's ever compared anything to (laughs) Steve Gutenberg and The Big Green. So there you go, Kyle. Another movie in 96, though, we all love that you've been waiting to talk about. Jingle All the Way, Mall Santa. Jingle All the Way is so bad, but is so quotable and funny because it has everything. It has Arnold Schwarzenegger in a comedy role trying to be a good dad, which like is just so like ridiculous and he's like the workaholic dad who has like the most like caucasian looking son ever like married to tom hanks's wife it is the most random phil hartman's in it sinbad in sinbad's what i would say is probably his last (laughs) good performance um yeah i love jingo all the way man and jim belushi is great he he plays a santa who is selling counterfeit turbo man's and <laughs> to this day, I still say all sales are final. If there, if there's a most quotable James Belushi movie, this would be it for me. I just love this movie. It just makes me happy. It's like it's a Christmas. Cl- I think about this movie when it comes around Christmas time. I, it could be the worst movie ever, and I have no idea because I just love it. Me too. Like me too. Arnold Schwarzenegger sells mattresses, but Sinbad is like legitimately hilarious to me. <laughs> I feel like they were just like, "Hey, you're a postman. Go write a go write 15 minute set." I agree. On the post office and just bring them, bring them. Yes, that's so true. I was like impressed by how much postal work jokes he had. The safari hat joke is my, the funniest thing in the movie, though. Yeah, I agree. You're the type that laughs at my high knee socks and safari hats in the summer. <laughs> one of my favorite one of my favorite lines in this is a joke that I didn't get the first time I saw it because I was a little kid and then I didn't probably didn't pick up until like five years ago is when he's being tackled in the mall and he's yelling Rodney King. Yes. Rodney King. Yes. <laughs> this is so funny. Oh, so funny. I was going to say I'm going to take us back to 95 for a minute because, you know, he keeps getting cast as detectives cops mm-hmm. coaches principals oh you know, but in 95 he was in a film called irving and he played gay vampire number two uh-huh. and i cannot find a copy of that but i really want to know did he play it you know how did he play it like that i'm really curious to see you know what what he did with that just wanted to throw that out there it was a, a different type of 
casting. I'm mostly curious as to what your Google results looked showed you when <laughs> you were trying to find <laughs> number two, Dave Irving. Probably the movie I'm most excited to talk about, even though it's going to take like it won't be a very long one, is the one crossover with Laura, and that's in Wag the Dog, because we know Laura was in Wag the Dog, and he he's it's a very short, brief appearance for him, like being interviewed in Wag the Dog. Like it, it says that he's Albanian, so I thought that was fun too. Yeah, I did not get to film with him that day, so I didn't meet him. But yeah, that was definitely a, a fun shoot. So, and I like that clip where he's speaking Albanian and and I'm um, trying to give support to old shoe. Not often do we have a one of our guests crossover with the Munson we're covering in a movie. Yeah, so pretty cool. Who had more screen time, Laura? You or Belushi? I think Laura. Hmm. Probably Belushi. Believe it or not, I was. I probably film longer. I'm on the editing floor more than he is. <laughs> okay. So you worked harder than he did, at least. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Okay. I was definitely there for about four or five days. So I think he probably did that in, you know, one day. Gang-related. A movie we covered on the Gary Cole episode with uh, Tupac he plays Detective Da Vinci. How did this happen? He's great in this movie. He's good. It's one of my favorite roles. I have no idea how this movie happened. Yeah. This is the one Rogers was like... How how did they how did they put this together? I'm fascinated by it, and even watching them, I probably spent like ten minutes just like, how did you how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> they got good chemistry. Him and Tupac, good, pretty good chemistry. I didn't like this movie as much as you guys did. I guess it's not worse than you would expect from what this movie actually is. It's about kind of what you would think that it is. It's a tough one for me to see Tupac go out on because this was his last movie. I feel like he had he had a lot better stuff. Yeah, this is a tough one to go. This is last movie. That's right. But what we've seen in other roles, and we continue to see here, is Belushi's got enough of a attitude and a personality that is easy for him to be paired to contrast somebody. That's a good point. And this is another one of those examples. The Willennium hits uh, a movie we talked about in the Bonnie Hunt episode. He did Return to Me, which was Bonnie Hunt. She directed it, so we got a Bonnie Hunt crossover from Laura's previous episode. A movie that I actually really enjoyed. Uh, and he plays Bonnie Hunt's husband in the movie, and they have a delightful little chemistry between the two of them. Well, the era of James Belushi comes to an end. Really, in 2001, he, from everything I read, he had kind of gone into a little bit of obscurity by 2000, and he does an episode of ER in 2001, which is huge at the time, and that was kind of his reintroduction to uh, network television, like, big primetime audiences and out, coming out of that probably the biggest role of his career is spawn and so again you see the 90s was a lot of voice roles a lot of animated work and then you get to 2000 and it's this whole new sitcom era for jim belushi where now he's jim and he's in the show according to jim carrying that for eight years almost 200 episodes 182 episodes uh, which he directed 30 of those episodes and we have that wacky lawsuit story that James put into the trivia as well. Yeah, so I knew him for this. I loved this. Mm -hmm. show. Yeah, I, it was one of those things that came on at the right time. I was like, I was at the right age where I just, well, I just would watch these over and over again. I love this show, and I think he is hilarious in this. I think his acting talents and style are significantly more suited for television success than they are for movie success. I think his character and his personality is one that grows on you. And then he's so good at mm -hmm. 
throwing you a curveball once once he gets you into a rhythm. And and I think that's what all these successful television actors do that then a lot of times struggle in movies because they can't they can't deliver that giant performance in a movie. They have to they have to kind of play the long game. That's a really good point. The other movie that competed for lowest critic score, and I didn't watch it because I didn't want to cri- like destroy my soul in the process, but is Pinocchio. He plays Farmer George, <laughs> has an 11 meta score. It is um, Roberto Benigni, but I'm told this is an, an absolute abomination to, uh, in terms of a film. So watch at your own risk. You guys, this had a $40 million budget. It U.S. grossed 3.7 million, and then it world grossed 44 million. Yeah, this movie struggled in the U.S. It did much better throughout the world. An episode of Rugrats in '02, some more of the Nickelodeon voice acting. 2003, he released an album with Dan Aykroyd, a Blues Brothers album called "Have Love Will Travel." So doing some music there in the early 2000s. So he appears in another music video this time for Brad Paisley in his his uh, music video "Celebrity." Three episodes of Jimmy Neutron there in the mid-2000s. And then he became an author, Case. In 2006, he wrote uh, Real Men Don't Apologize, which, I, I mean, you know, it catches my eye for maybe the wrong reasons, but maybe that's just a misnomer and it's all about people. About, did anybody look into his book? I apologize. I didn't. <laughs> Rigby, be a real man and don't apologize. Yeah, on Amazon, Real Men Don't Apologize uh, is reviewed really well with nearly a five-star rating out of 62 fans. So there are 62 giant (laughs) Jim Belushi fans that went out and bought this book in 2006, and they loved it. Four more years until the next thing we're going to mention. That's The Ghost Rider, played John, a Roman Polanski film. Yeah, I love The Ghost Rider. Uh, Belushi's character is very small in this. He plays a publishing executive. Uh, for the company that hires Ewan McGregor to write the memoirs of the former British Prime Minister. If you haven't seen The Ghost Rider and you have, maybe you have something against Roman Polanski, try your best to get that out of your head because I love this movie. One of the best, uh, one of the best spy thrillers slash political thrillers I've seen in the last 20 years. Praise. Mm, that's, that is high praise. Also in 2011, he became a, a spokesperson for both gout and like diarrhea awareness he was dealing with a lot of issues to the point where when he was on the according to jim set people would call him jim bell lucy for how often he did have to take a shit uh on set so some advocacy things there in the early 2010s (laughs) that sounds like a hostile work environment to me (laughs) there's a movie in 2012 called thunderstruck with kevin durant that I did not watch, where he plays a coach. Another coach role case. Telling you, he's typecast. But a movie about Kevin Durant. I saw the Wikipedia, the cover on this on Wikipedia, and I, I don't think I've rolled my eyes so hard. Like just the, <laughs> the idea of I'm I'm kind of glad I was I didn't track this down because the idea of Kevin Durant in a not less not even in a movie leading a movie seems i didn't even know this existed it's ridiculous yeah i remember when this came out this was when everyone liked kevin durant oh yeah for the record i still really i still really like him but these this was when like he was like everyone loved him the the, like personal life thing here is he built a home in eagle point oregon so that's where he lives and he started his cannabis like empire out there so there's a there's a documentary about it's just basically about him in his weed farm and 
the business he's built from there. So if you're interested in kind of like what he's been up to the last 10 years, my man's growing weed in Oregon and making making money and doing his thing. Good for him. So another shift in the, the decades of, uh, of Jim Belushi. I was just going to say you love when these – the people that we cover try to do stuff other than act. I mean it's always interesting that – People are constantly, you know, evolving their craft and stuff. And and yeah, good for Belushi for taking this on. That's awesome to hear. Ironically, wasn't it Rene Russo who also got out of acting to become a farmer or a dairy farmer or some yep. shit like that? Dairy farmer. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but our last review is largest audience gap, which is 2016's Undrafted. Our largest audience gap technically is a movie called Gigi and Nate, but we could not find it anywhere. Laura and I search high and low for it. So the second best option is this baseball drama from 2016 that Laura is just dying to tell the world about. Do you guys know the director, Joseph Mazzello? He was a child actor. Yeah, he's Jurassic Park, right? Oh, oh. Yep, Jurassic Park boy. Oh, the, the, the really so, angry outfielder in this movie? That is him, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't realize that. That is. So, yeah, he wrote this based on a true story about his brother who missed Major League Draft Baseball. And um, he wrote it. He directed it. This was his director directorial debut, and he um, co-produced it. It was produced by Tony Romo too from the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and this was a very very odd film. Um, I would say if you're going to watch this movie, you have to watch it all the way through. Um, and it's really really bad for the whole first half of the movie. And then it ends with this beautiful story about like when one door closes, a window or another door opens. Um, so I, I think if it didn't end that way, it would have been really rated much worse than it was. This baseball team, this summer league, um, and they're playing their finals against the Bulldogs. And it's kind of like the Bad News Bears, like all the... All the guys have different personalities, but then they all start singing. They all started singing. It was like League of Their Own where they all singing and chanting. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I watching? There's no way this is real, you know? And, um, (laughs) and then Kyle like texts me and he's like, that's entirely too much chanting. The lead who didn't get drafted ends up stepping in and becoming an amazing coach. So there you go, another coach role. But it wasn't Belushi this time. And Belushi plays his father. So um, the the part that Belushi had was pretty small. It wasn't super big. It was a lot of intense staring and knowing looks. And <laughs> they had a sad montage, you know, of him throwing catch with him as a boy and but it did not do well at the box office, like we mentioned. Um, very small earnings. And it, it only opened in 20 theaters. It was distributed independently. Rotten Tomatoes, it was 25. And audience score was 75. And again, I think that's, that's because of the ending. There were moments I really liked. And there were moments I truly despised with how they portrayed Men's League <laughs> a baseball. And the director, I didn't realize he was the director, but him like losing his mind in the outfield after not hitting the ball. I was like, I played with those guys. Like, it's like, bro, get over it. It's an at-bat. You'll, there will be other ones. Like, get over yourself. Stop. And he like loses his mind for a good 10 minutes. Like, it's obnoxious. The baseball itself, I felt like they were playing on a Little League diamond. It seemed like the smallest diamond I've ever seen in my life. Small. <laughs> it was so it was small. small. 
I liked it quite a bit. You did? Which character did you like the best? Probably Dell's the main character. I probably liked him the best. He had the most stuff going on. I know which character I liked the least, Ty, which is the which is one of the two actors who I actually know because he's in a show called Heels on Stars, um, about like an independent wrestling program. I felt like this movie was doing something that I find to be really hard and kind of meta. Intramural sports, just in general. I played intramural sports in college. We all took it way too serious. I get together with my friends. We still talk about it to this day, what we did when we were playing intramural sports. It's this weird dichotomy of like, Mm -hmm. we all know it's not serious, and we all know it's kind of stupid. But at the same time, it's also very important. This movie captured that, where it was like, it was self-deprecating in a way that was like, yeah, they all kind of get that this is a little, it's a little too much how much we care about this. But at the same time, it all means something to them in a way that's endearing to people who still do that. And as far as Jim Belushi, I watched a lot of his later stuff. And this seems to be what has been happening. He's a dad. He has a couple of mm-hmm. things with a rocky relationship. Yep. And that's kind of where it's at. Let's round it out. So last couple of years here of his career, 2016, he's in The Whole Truth with our girl Goo Goo and Batha Raw. Wonder Wheel, he did it in 2017 of Woody Allen film, played Humpty, uh, a film I truly, truly don't like. Weird movie. He and Kate Winslet, I don't know what Kate Winslet was doing taking this role, but it's, it's not my favorite film I've ever seen. I'm not sure what she was doing in the role. I was that was yeah. I was stunned. It was shocking how how much I disliked what she was doing. I thought he was all right. He's fine. It's just it's a weird movie. I was just gonna say I think this is the last Woody Allen movie that like didn't cause some like cast member to be like, yeah, I'm gonna donate my salary to whatever, or like I'm I wish I wouldn't have been in that. That sort of this was like the last the last pre controversial Woody Allen movie is that like people just kind of had a they would now want anything to do with anymore you know uh twin peaks six episodes of that it was like 18 episodes on showtime in 2017 so it's basically like david lynch right yeah yeah the first two seasons of twin peaks were like you know i think like 15 episodes combined and the season three was like the return i think is what it was called was like 18 episodes it was ridiculous yeah i think he owned the casino or something like that it's sounds about right it's yeah, I think his name was like Bradley or something like that. But he owned the casino. You never really know what anybody's role is in this show. It's David Lynch is a weird motherfucker. Oh, weird, man. I remember watching this like every week it came out. I watched it and I couldn't tell you now and I couldn't tell you then what the hell was going on. 2017, he's in a movie called Solar's Point, plays Carol. Yeah, so this movie is this is kind of like up my alley. So I've I've. I feel like I need to redeem myself. I've I've recommended Undisputed and Eddie. This is more of the type of movie that really calls to me. So when I was going through his list, I saw this and I kind of picked it out. There's another one. Um, yeah. Like Katie Says Goodbye is another one that's like these really small, like intimate kind of authentic indie films. And that's what this is. A kid gets out of prison or younger guy, a young man gets out of prison, lives with his dad under house arrest. And he's kind of just trying to put his life back together. And so you kind of just go with him as he's trying to manage that in, in Baltimore. And there's a lot of other different things that play into a racial dynamics and gender dynamics and things like that, that play into it. He, Jim Belushi plays his dad 
and so they don't have a good relationship so it's a lot of the same stuff from his later career i just i if you're a fan of sean baker who made like the uh the floor project oh yeah this is sean i would say this is sean baker light it's very i felt a lot of stuff because sean baker is one of my favorite filmmakers terrific it doesn't come together in the end as well as sean baker films do which is why it's it's a bit of like a sean baker light situation but and then the last one i'll mention was gg and nate the technical audience gap that just came out in 2022 but just don't know where to find it so maybe it'll hit you a local theater near you rigby I think you're going to take us through a, a top performances exercise here, right? Ooh, this is going to be a tough one. You know, obviously, if you've listened to the show, we do. We try to find a top performances list from a reputable source. Sometimes we don't even find ones that are reputable. But this week, I didn't find any. Uh, I found some ones that list top movies that he's in. But I, I think it'd be fun for us to just name our top uh, two or three favorite Jim Belushi performances. And we can rank them. I'm going to say Mr. Mr. Destiny's number one, which I already, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Jingle All the Way number three, just because that is classic to me. I'll go according to Jim, just because, just because of, of what that meant to pop culture and, and it was a very popular show. And, you know, if he weren't a household name before that, he, he's a household name from that show. So that's got to be on there. Like Thief has to be on there, especially it's him coming out early in his career. Okay, good. You putting Salvador on there, Kyle? Federation. I don't know if I'm going to stamp my foot and say Salvador belongs on there. I would prefer about last night over Salvador, personally. Nice. I was just going to say about last night. Yeah, that was on my list. I wish I would have seen Curly Sue, because everything I've read from Curly Sue sounds like it was a really unique and fun role, too, that would probably score pretty high. Yep, that was on my list, too. (laughs) I, I had about last night, Salvador, Curly Sue... And the principal. I was thinking Homer and Eddie, Pinocchio, and... How'd you get Craigslist? (laughs) If I could punch you through this right now, I would for saying that. That's how much I hated it. And growing Belushi. I've got Thunderstruck here, too. I don't know what Craig's thinking over there. Big big Oklahoma City Thunder guy, I guess. I don't know. I was just going with coaches. That's I was just I, I thought the assignment was his top coaching role. Top coaching roles? Okay. Mine would be based on the roles that I can remember and I enjoyed the most. Courtney Jim would be numero uno. Number two actually would be Red Heat. I think it's just the time that I watched this movie and it just stuck with me. I've always enjoyed him in taking care of business, and that would be number three for me. Red Heat's a good addition. Mm-hmm. According to Jim is number one for me. And Probably Thief about last night. Drink all the way, obviously. Getting to that fifth one would be hard. I, I really liked what he did in Wonder Wheel. I don't like that movie very much, but I really I I found what he was doing at least somewhat compelling. Okay. Well, let's get into the Munson meter, y'all. Uh, what we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to hundred based on a variety of factors that can include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. And we will start this time with Case. Jim Belushi is going to struggle in my rankings because I think he is such a more forceful presence in tv shows I, I alluded to it earlier and then i think that 
is also supported by his really, really poor box office. I, I love the guy. I think he's super funny. You know, Coach Belushi does a lot of dynamic things, and I would definitely give him extra points for that. <laughs> Tough to compare him to some of these, the other performers. I mean, three episodes ago, we we're talking about Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, it's ridiculous that we're going to compare two actors like that, but that's kind of what we do, right? I think if he's cast well, he, he does great in a movie. But again, I find him entertaining. I, I, like a, I mean, that is one of my top five Saturday Night Live skits of all time. But in the end, you know, based on the movie side of things, and this is Munson's at the movies, not Munson's at the TV shows, I'm going to have to give him a 60. Aubrey. This was hard because I know him from According to Jim. I love According to Jim. Like, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And the first thing you say is like, oh, Jim Belushi. First thing I say is I love Jim Belushi. Like, it just... Because he's just fun to watch. He's entertaining. I enjoy like when he's on a screen. Yeah. Going through his movies was tough. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just, it was tough. Um, one thing, though, my takeaway from going through all of his stuff and like reading through the movies and watching as many of them as I could is he has a, he has a, really, a really impressive movie career. Mm-hmm. Like He's been a lead in several different types of movies. He's been supporting in several different types of movies. He does a lot of his his catalog is like diverse and expansive. He has a really impressive movie career that spans a long time. Like now, when you kind of dive into what it is, it's not as impressive, but it's it's really impressive to just look at. Um, I can't go any higher than a fifty, so I'm going fifty. Ruby, you guys hit it. Big household name, really funny. Just doesn't have the acting chops. I think that deserves of a, a very high score. He'd be great to have a beer with. I will say that he just seems like really cool. Yeah, really, really <laughs> awesome. I love the marijuana stuff. So he gets some points there. But the acting, the acting uh, chops just aren't really you know what we can score high on in this podcast, unfortunately. So he's going to get a sixty four from. Me. So in my mind. His role in Homer and Eddie is bafflingly bad, and that's automatically minus two points to start with on my end. So we're cruising already. Uh, while the ratings of his film aren't good, and judging by Case's box office snapshot of 74 out of 74, I will say, like Aubrey mentioned, he has been able to, over the years, showcase his abilities to be a leading man, to be a comedic actor, and also as a voice actor. So I got to give him credit for he's done a lot. He's a lot, done a lot of different things in the industry, and a lot of people he covered don't. They're kind of, don't, you know, they do one or two things, and they don't really dabble in other areas. And it, he's, he's definitely dabbled. And looking at the phases of his career, I think it's just really fascinating of being like a leading man, comedic action star in the 80s, to animated voice work in the 90s, to the sitcom era with According to Jim in the 2000s, and then transferring to like, his stoner lifestyle in the 2010s. I'm just really fascinating to see which version of Jim Belushi we're going to get in the 2020s. Um, is it more of the dramatic work that we saw in movies like Katie Says Goodbye and Solar's Point, right? Is that just going to do indie films and play it really straight? I don't know. I'm interested to see how he kind of like reinvents himself since he seems to do it every 10 years or so. Harmonica player. You get a chance to hear him play. It's really fun. I got to give my cousin Mary knocking him a point for being a Chicago fan, <laughs> but he gains one back for being an inspirational chess coach. So that one just kind of stands pat. 
So with all that, I'm going to give him a 57. Kyle, one thing I want to add that, you know, we didn't even really talk about that is, I think is super impressive on a personal side. Man, this dude dealt with one of the highest profile deaths of a loved one. And for all intents and purposes, handled it not only with grace, but he continued on and kind of had a career that was different than his brother's, but yet in a strange way was kind of a, a tribute to his brother. And he's even said in some articles like, hey, I know that I got a lot of roles because of who my brother was. And I appreciate that every day. And I got no problem with that. And, and, and I think that the line he said was he dug the well and I get to drink the water from it. And I never lose sight of the fact that I appreciate what he's done for me. That would be really hard to do, man. And because and, in Hollywood, I bet you a lot of people wanted him to be John. He probably wanted to be so different, but he kind of found a path in the middle that I think satisfied a lot of people and, and was fulfilling for him. But that would have been hard to do. And, and I give him a lot of credit for, for being able to navigate that tragedy. Laura is our guest, Munson. This one was hard for me. Again, he's from Chicago. So um, I want to I want to score him high just because of that. He kept John Belushi's legacy going with the Blues Brothers. In 2022, he came out here as Brother Z and played at the Old Joliet Prison. Um, you know, he's a musician. He's an actor. He's an author. He does have some philanthropic charities he works for. Yeah, so there, there are all those things. But again... When, when I look at the other categories that we put him against longevity, you know, I would say he's in the mid range consistencies more on the high end pop culture. He's kind of fizzling out. I would say he's kind of medium to low. So I don't know when you compare that with his acting, I would put him at 58 or 59. I'm going to end with 59. 58.5. If that's the right you want to go. But I do like this quote from him I want to share real quick. I like to consider myself a star, a star that when you look in the sky, it's always there. And on a clear night, a shooting star comes by and you get a thrill and you make a little wish. And he said, John Belushi was like the shooting star and he's like the consistent star. And you need both types of stars. The heavens include them all. That's cool. Okay. That's a great quote. That score that gives Jim Belushi a 57.9, which puts him in 69th place. 69 to 74, he's sandwiched between Chris Tucker and Gugu Mbatha. He's way higher than his box office ranking. He's, he's outshined his box office. All right, Aubrey, what has he got coming soon? So not a lot. He's got a video game, Star Guardians, where he plays Captain Bokabi, I think. And then a movie called Fairy Tale, which is, I've been thinking about this movie for days. All it says is it's a fa- fairy tale is a sweeping romantic story, and Jim Belushi is like the fourth build person. <laughs> and so I've, I just have no idea. It's interesting, but that's pretty much all I've got for what he's got coming out. I think that's the sequel to Traces of Red, isn't it? Fairy tale. <laughs> Well, there we go. Does he have any new strains coming out? Maybe he's got a new strain called Mr. Destiny. Traces of Red could also be another good strain. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. That's you should start one. naming trains after all of his shitty no, movies. It's not a good strain. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good strain. 
Our next episode is going to hit on November 17th, and we're going to be joined again by Mark Yerke. He was here for Chris Tucker, Emily Blunt, and Angela Bassett. Here are the five actors we threw under the wheel for this episode, and he wheel selected one of them, and then he chose to join for this particular actor. We have Gary Sinise, Christoph Waltz, Ava Green, Timothy Oliphant, and Joel Edgerton. What do we think? Man, that's a fun, fun group. That's a, that's a great group. Yeah, I agree. If it's Gary Sinise, I'm just going to watch CSI New York. I would say I would say Eva Green's probably the least interesting on there, and she's super interesting, so that's very exciting. She is. That would be a wild selection of movies, though. Ten City, yeah. I know we don't do TV, but Justified is a great show. If yep. you haven't seen it, a great show. I'd start watching it for that, because I, I, that's one that's been on my list, and I haven't been able to get to it. The opening scene alone will hook you for the whole series. I can't wait. I would want Joe Edgerton if I had to choose. I'd want Joe Edgerton. He's great, man. I love Joe Edgerton. He's so good. The gift. Incredible. James and I love the gift. That the gift. Underrated. Oh, the gift is incredible, man. He directed that movie too, which is fun. Warrior. That's a good movie. I think he'd have a lot of really good movies that kind of flew under the radar. Yeah. And you you guys would watch Race to the Sun with Halle Berry and Jim Belushi, his first ever movie. <laughs> We do a full review on it. I would not. Yes, we would. <laughs> Christoph Waltz would be the most fun, I think, just because he's so so talented, and we get to talk about Inglorious and Django. Uh, who do we think Yerky would is going to pick? Christoph Waltz. Your description makes me think it's Christoph Waltz. Would be or that's who he would want was Christoph Waltz. Regardless, we don't decide. Mark doesn't decide. Laura doesn't decide. The wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. And it was great having Laura on again. She just brings such cool. I, like I said earlier, it blows my mind when we're talking about a movie and all of a sudden Kyle goes, oh, yeah, by the way, Laura was in this with them. Or she's like, yeah, I was on the set of this movie. And I'm just like, that shit is bananas. And I love when we talk about those things. Yeah, it's really cool. It is. That's awesome. But as always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Jim Belushi? I want you in prison, man. But I can't. Because nobody saw what you did to me, Neil. Well, I'm gonna catch you. And you're gonna wish you were in prison when I do. Fuck you! Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Ah, uh, well, that's the uh, multilingual version. It's fun and educational. Whoa! All sales are final. <laughs> <laughs>